my motto in life is with talent born by duty bound so i think i had a special talent or at least a special interest in logistics and invariably logistics found me back and i'm back doing logistics if you had to build a dpd group or you had to build a parcel force or a dhl in 2018 considering that it's a mobile first economy india and uh, more many people are getting on the phone and most people already the supply side is massively fragmented so how would you build it you are listening to changing careers a podcast about how mba careers are changing and how mbas change their careers i am conrad chua some years ago every entrepreneur was pitching their idea as the uber of x where X could be anything from food deliveries, cleaning services, etc. It was a surefire way to get the interest of any VC at the time. That Uber for X tagline quickly became something to avoid as too many startups tried to replicate the Uber model. Mithun Srivatsa first told me 7 years ago that he wanted to build the Uber for deliveries in India. And now his company Blowhorn has grown to cover most of the top cities in India. Along the way, he's had to cope with the anxieties of building a startup and worrying about the financials of paying for an MBA. We spoke when Mithun visited London recently. So post my MBA, I think uh, towards the fag end of my MBA, I was pretty sure I wanted to do something in entrepreneurship and uh, at that point i started working with one more student from my batch and uh, we both uh, got together and looked at fundraising and kind of help him help, helping him build his business model and business plan and that came about well and i i found it very exciting to be the part of the whole process so at that point i decided to kind of pursue entrepreneurship full time and the obvious high growth market at that point was india when china had reached a fairly high growth uh, phase already and india was like the next big thing waiting to happen and i'm indian so it was like natural for me to just go back home and i'm very fortunate to be from bangalore which is like the center of innovation at least in india all these things came together i just went back home for the first eight months i was trying to figure out what to do but uh, while i was waiting after a series of coincidences the idea of blowhorn came about and blohan right now is a full stack asset light intercity logistics company it's one of in- india's leading companies in the space and uh, yeah so i think uh, having an open mind helped me a lot because when i came to the mba my aim was to get a consulting job i did get a consulting job in a boutique company uh, but invariably you know towards the end of the mba after having interacted with the most of the cohort i realized that my passions lay elsewhere and that way the mba helped kind of transition so after the mba it was more a case that you uh felt very strongly that you wanted to do entrepreneurship you didn't have an idea of what it was that you wanted to do how did you go about getting that idea sure i think uh i think it it's a organic process you cannot force it i think the best what i did well was i worked with people whose ideas i liked i think i helped one startup raised money which was marcos you know and the other thing once i went back to uh, uh, india there i helped a few more uh, 
friends of mine uh, through their business models, business plans, etc., which I thought were smart ideas. Uh, but uh, I think I think when the right idea hits you, you know, you know, it's like a bulb goes off in your head, and you're like, you know, exactly the feeling. You know, it's I won't say it's akin to falling in love, but it feels great. And uh, I think um, my motto in life is with talent born by duty bound. So I think I had a special talent or at least a special interest in logistics. And invariably, logistics found me back and I'm back doing logistics. Because you started your career in logistics. That's right. Um, what did you learn from your career before the MBA where you were working in was it a very a major shipping line? Yes. So I worked with the major shipping line. I worked with various divisions of the group. I started at the container freight station, which is a warehouse. Second role was in trucking and shipping. Third role was with the shipping line. Fourth role was with the shipping line. Last two roles were at the port. My last role was getting a port to IPO. I was a part of the core team. So fundamentally for me, uh, I had planned my career in such a way that I understand one trade very well. I, I was always uh, focused on that. So I wanted to learn end-to-end about logistics. What I learned was most businesses tend to work on common sense. I mean, invariably, it's just doing things on first principles tend to work. I mean, like, for example, for us, it's always margin focus. Keep your cost low. I mean, focus on getting higher revenues and just keep margins high. Right now, it's been regarded as, like, great wisdom in India to keep margins over scale. But I think this is common sense for most people. And a lot of things in logistics are, I mean, you also learn that logistics is not uh, about operations research. It's more about conflict resolution. There's always, uh, I mean, things go wrong. So if you're doing 500 or 5,000 parcels delivered every day, and you're doing it seamlessly, nobody comes and pats your back for doing your job. But that one day when that parcel goes wrong, or it doesn't get delivered on time. That is the day when escalations happen all across. So it's it's contingency management is the key issue here. So conflict resolution and contingency management, I think, are the key skills I learned in my previous. But I wanted to, to delve into this about uh, the skills that you mentioned, this conflict resolution, uh, the operational side, execution side. What, how do you approach the, you know, things? Because obviously when things don't go according to plan, you've got customers on the phone uh, screaming at you um, or, or screaming at your team. Um, you've got operations in multiple cities. You don't know what's happening to the dri- with the driver, with everything. So how do you handle that um, with, the team, with your team but also yourself personally? I think uh, one thing is, uh, the one thing that being an entrepreneur has helped me is understand a lot more about myself and my own weaknesses. So in terms of the way I build my team, I try to complement people in gaps which I have, which are obvious in me, right? So I think building a team with complementary personalities is as important as building a team with complementary skill sets. And uh, so in terms of managing conflicts and kind of resolving things, it's always we just follow a simple principle of transparency. We just tell them, yes, things went wrong this time. Uh, We could have done better. And people get that, that things can go wrong and it's not a perfect world. I think being a little transparent always helps. Instead of giving some cookie-cutter answer, I think just telling them, hey, this is what went wrong. Our systems didn't work because this didn't happen. 
So it's our goof up. So we are sorry. So I think people get that. How do you manage yourself personally when things go wrong? I think uh, one of the most difficult things doing a startup is, I was just, as I was telling you a while back, right? The highs are high and the lows are low, right? So fundamentally, it comes down to, uh, first of all, being honest with yourself and being honest in terms of uh, your team, etc. So you need to set the right expectations. If things are not going great, it's good to keep everybody in the loop and share the pain. And it's very important to share the happiness also. So your victories and your losses you share with your team. And that is important to help you manage because there's one instance where we didn't have enough cash for a few months. And at that point, people had not got paid for a few weeks. But they trusted the company so much and the transparency helped a lot that they borrowed money from their parents to pay for the drivers, right? So they borrowed money from the families to keep the company going. And they, had, they didn't have to do that. So I think... This is your own employee. This, this, this is my own team. And so that is what I've realized that, I mean, as a founder, yes, we talk about a lot of things, but fundamentally it's a team sport. And, and uh, I mean, without the team, you're nothing. And that's that. Going back to Blowhorn. So you describe Blowhorn as full stack? Full stack, asset light, intracity logistics company. Okay, so let's unpack that. What is full stack? So most people, the moment you say logistics, right, they think of a van or a truck and or a warehouse. So fundamentally, uh, most people in India at least associate just transportation with logistics and vice versa. Uh, I think there's a lot of aspects to tra- logistics uh, where transportation is one stack. The other stack is a planning stack, which is an orchestration stack, which a platform and a software will do it. And the third piece is a fulfillment stack where you might have to hold inventory for a while. You might have to do cross-docking or warehousing, right? Fundamentally, all these three things come together to form a logistics stack. And so we do a full stack. So fundamentally, we use the word full stack so that people ask us what the stack is, unpack it for us. (laughs) And then, you know, we get to explain that we do all these three elements seamlessly. And that clarifies a lot of things for a lot of people. And in terms of asset light, we own five printers and one projector. So, I mean, even our laptops are rented in the office. So it's, we kind of live that asset light life. How do you orchestrate all of that with five printers and a projector? Yeah, so, I mean, we have, our, we have built our own platform in-house, our own transportation management system, warehouse management system. Uh, we have built a unified, and what we try to do is we don't try to build separate platforms which work in silos. We try to integrate everything onto one big mega platform. So everything is interconnected and seamless. So, you know, my operations team can possibly, you know, they can, they can work with their apps and their app data flows directly into tra- my transportation management platform, which in turn flows directly to my customer. Invoicing, everything is done on the same platform. So it's like a, while from a architecture perspective or a software architecture perspective, we have microservices where everything can be kind of encapsulated into smaller containers. The company platform as such works as one seamless. And you don't employ your own drivers, is that right? Yes, we are fully asset light. We don't employ drivers. We don't even give them minimum guarantee. We're possibly the only Indian company to have built this. And we are the only Indian company to have built this without giving minimum guarantee. How did you manage to recruit drivers? who bring their own vehicles and at the same time be able to maintain the kind of high 
standards that a lot of your clients require? Sure. It's almost like a secret sauce, but uh, I'll kind of abstract it for you. And fundamentally, in terms of recruitment, uh, what we do is we have, we use our software platform a lot. So, you know, we have our teams going and getting drivers manually. And after a while, network effects kick in and it becomes organic. So the rest of the drivers who start coming in after a particular point, they come by word of mouth. You don't need to put in the same effort. Let's say to get in and the power lock kicks in, right? So the effort you put in to get your first 10 drivers, half of it, you get the next 10 and then so on and so forth, right? So that's how it works. In terms of keeping them, training them, etc. and all, we try to use the platform. And we have we have our own uh, kind of a very uh, unique method which has worked for us at scale. Uh, what I'll tell you is we don't even have a training team. But still we are able to develop this kind of, uh, what do you call, uh, consistency in service quality across different cities. I remember when you first started Lohan, you described it to me as Uber for deliveries. Is that, is, would you still describe it as, as, as that? Absolutely. I mean, the Uber for mowing goods is, generally helps most people kind of understand it very quickly and they can make the connections fairly fast. I think from then to now, I would think of it as a different analogy would be if you had to build a DPD group or you had to build a parcel force or a DHL in 2018, considering that it's a mobile-first economy, India. And uh, more, many people are getting on the phone. And most people already, the supply side is massively fragmented. So how would you build it? So if the same founders of these companies started building these companies again from scratch in 2018, 2019, given the resources, given the technology that was available, possibly build it the way we are building it. So that is, that is our play here. How successful is Blowhorn? So for me, the key success metric is the margins. I mean, margins kind of, while it's like a meta metric, it kind of tells you that customers are willing to pay, one. Second, there's a product market fit already. Third, if your margins are the highest in the business, then it means that you are a premium operator, which means you are giving a premium service compared to all other people. Uh, so we are the margin leaders. And I think uh, that kind of, that is the most important metric for me in terms of looking at holding. And margin leadership always translates into a lot of good things. And staying on top of the margin leadership means that you cannot stop innovating. So you have to kind of, uh, because logistics is a cost center for many companies. And they have a downward pressure on costs. So you have to keep innovating to keep your margins up. How many cities does Blowhorn operate in? So currently we operate in 14 cities. And uh, we are looking to expand to a lot more cities by the end of this year. You've also been you know, asking uh, or pitching for funding and you've been successful in that. Can you talk a bit about how do you, you know, the, the landscape or the scene in India when it comes to getting people to invest in promising companies like Blowhorn? I think uh, for any asset class, media plays a huge role, kind of bringing it up or bringing it down. When real estate was the hot asset class for a long time. And Indians are fundamentally risk-averse. But uh, now they're opening up to the... Uh, um, they're opening up to more riskier investments. I mean, there are a lot of people doing crypto, etc. So fundamentally for them, it comes in the same high-risk asset class. 
but where the multiples can be very good and they have a little more control if they have if they understand the business quite well so fundamentally you'll find a lot of indian investors like for example if let's say they have run a transportation company and and for them they understand what i do in a much more nuanced way so they they are willing to write those or take those big risks right so that is what i see that indian market right now uh, until now most of the money was controlled by uh, large vc funds and risk capital by pe vc funds which were run by consultants and bankers because india did not really have a lot of exits and right now i think for the past i mean one week i saw three exits happening in india where amazon's buying out smaller companies reliance bought out two companies flipkart was like a massive success story so fundamentally there's now dry powder coming which is being led by founders who have already built businesses themselves and who understand the founder mindset and who understand technology in a lot more nuanced way so i think real value capital will start coming in in the next one or two years in india and it will be a boom story so i think it's good for india all things are looking great you mentioned that there is a difference between pitching to say someone to a uh, investor who comes from a the banking sort of background versus pitching to a potential investor who was part of a, a successful startup or did a founders how do you pitch how do you yourself pitch to the people in the latter category people who understand technology built up were you know either founded a company themselves or were one of the first you know 20 employee what is the difference there so i think um pitching to entrepreneurs who have come from this space uh, generally they they would they would already know a lot about you and they would have already done some research even before they meet you they would have spoken to two of their friends in the network they know exactly what you do so fundamentally there i think the approach tends to be a little more on uh, establishing familiarity establishing a little they actually know whether the business is a well run business or not but at that point they want to know more about the founder vision how achievable it is right so realism is and staying very grounded and real is very very important for the latter and for the former it's more about vision building and i mean uh, so many times accretion also helps uh, and uh, i have got the feedback that i could be more aggressive in meetings right but you cannot change your dna but the latter you're actually talking about like real issues so that's what i see that's the easiest difference i see i also find that in the former there tends to be a lot of group grouping of investments so they it tends to be they tend to follow a trend trend based investing i mean like in 2015 there was a lot of investment in food tech i mean food tech was fundamentally food deliveries or kitchens being set up or brands being set up it's not like indians changed their food habits overnight it's not like 1 billion people said hey you know what i want fresh breakfast every day from this suddenly you had 20 investments in that space 2017 2018 was a boom year for fintech in india sme fintech lending peer to peer lending right it's not like suddenly indian market said hey you know what i need sme lending i need i need peer to peer lending sure there was a gap but did it warrant 25 investments or 30 investments in one space i'm not sure so that is the difference that i see and i also find that the latter group they are willing to take big blue sky bets so 
So if I if I if you in terms of entrepreneurs who have already built things, I think they tend to be uh, they they're willing to take bigger risks for outcomes which are not that clear right now. The U.S. and certain other geographies, the investors tend to be the blue sky, right? So let's say if somebody were to build like a drone delivery system or like a robot to kind of do automated kitchen work, right? Uh, automated kitchen in India. So there'd be very few investors willing to kind of look at it. So generally they look at models which have worked elsewhere. So these are all the challenges that I see in the former group. And the latter group, it doesn't matter. It can be audacious, but uh, they're willing to kind of back it. If you travel back in time to the to where uh, the MBA class that you were in, what would you, what advice would you give the Mithun of eight years ago? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, I think the one key thing which I could have done a lot more is possibly uh, interact a lot more with the academics uh, because you know from India generally there's a high power distance. So for us, we hold our professors at a very high stature, right? So we don't open up. And in fact, I've had some great conversations with Professor Jaidi Prabhu when he was in Bangalore or Professor Rao when he was in Bangalore. And I just realized that there was so much more I could have done in terms of while building my business, instead of reinventing the wheel, by keeping those relationships open, uh, I could have done a lot more. I think that is one. I think the second key piece is... Uh, don't get worried about placements. Don't get worried about your uh, what's going to happen, ROI. Fundamentally, ROI, I think, is on the back of the minds of most Indian students. I mean, that's, that's the big elephant in the room, right? But I think there's no point getting stressed out about that because this is not like an immediate, it's not like a rapid response. You'll get, you'll get it in a year, right? A lot of people do. In fact, a lot of, I mean, my batchmates got great jobs and whatnot, but Thing you need to look at it like for example even today i think about management practice uh, where we were discussing about feelings and we were discussing about how to manage conflict and whatnot i actually find it much more uh, relatable to what i do every day at the business and possibly what i learned in a different class all these things come together but you need to let it percolate you need to kind of wait for these things to come and settle and then uh, after a point, it starts making sense. I think these are the two, I mean, this is the advice I would give to myself. One is, at that point, I was a little worried. I was thinking about what's, what's going to happen, how will I get my money, and what, how will I pay it, right? I mean, so things worked out. Invariably, it will, because you have come from a good place, you have come from a good peer group. The peer group is very collaborative. They're willing to help you. I mean, uh, Blonde was built on the generosity of friends. I mean, even when I was in London trying to help uh, the other student build a startup, I think even there I was living with somebody else who was willing to kind of give me his house and space to kind of live there. I think uh, Mahesh, uh, a lot of people, right? I stayed with them. I stayed with Polo. Uh, one day I was sick and I was staying at Elaine's house and Elaine made me soup, right? Fundamentally, like, they're family. The life of an entrepreneur is one that has many highs and lows, and I like how Mithun approached that roller coaster ride of emotions. He also talked about the worry that all MBAs have about the post MBA career prospects, whether one can get the financial returns 
from a very expensive degree. It is a worry that I can empathize with. But as my guests have shown, with resilience and friends, it will work out. I talked at the beginning of the show about Uber, and coincidentally, I've just finished the book Platform Capitalism by Nick Srenacek. Nick talks about how companies are using cheaper computing power and VC money to become platforms, basically intermediaries who can control and monetize data. He calls companies such as Uber and Airbnb lean platforms. They're asset-like platforms that outsource as much as possible. And I think Blowhorn is in another example. I'm interested to see how all this will play out because um, Nick Srenicek, the author of the book, he's not openly optimistic about the number of platform companies that can survive. But he also talks about how those that can survive will do so at a much, much bigger scale than ever before. You can listen to this show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, subscribe if you've not done so. If you've already subscribed, thank you so much. And please share this with someone you know who would benefit from these listening. Please leave a rating and review. Uh, it definitely helps others discover this sh- show. You can write to me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at ConradChua16. Or you can look up uh, me on Instagram. I'm ChuaKH, C-H-U-A-K-H, uh, where you'll see some behind-the-scenes look at podcasts and some of the issues we explore here. Till next time, this is Conrad Chua on Changing Careers. Mm-hmm.